So we're in a series called Love Costs Everything. And uh, last week, I'm so grateful for Peter Kapsner, who has come on a number of different occasions and uh, shared God's word with us. And his, I guess last week was just more than teaching. He shared his life, opened up his heart, shared the story of how God had been at work in his heart. And I just, what a, what a powerful message that was. Um, I invite you, if you didn't get a chance to can listen to it on iTunes, or there's actually, they're now videotaped on YouTube. You can, can look at any of those places. I encourage you to think about that. But one thing Peter said that I don't want you to believe, and that is this, that love costs everything. The series ended last week. It didn't. We're actually doing it this week, and we are also doing it again next week. And I, I want to encourage you next week to come early. And make sure you're here on time, because we're going to start out pretty early in the service with a story by Sherry Mohammed, who has just a powerful story of how she, in a sense, forsaked everything and followed Jesus. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this one simple word, devotion, and how that plays into this whole concept of love costs everything, I ask that you would reveal to us how devoted you are to us. How you gave everything. And you were even happy, Jesus, to do that. And through that, you also taught us and freed us to give all that we are for you and for others. And so we thank you for that. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, speak, we pray. To our hearts this morning. Amen. So the word devotion, that's what we're looking at today. I want you to think for a moment what comes to mind. What images, what thoughts, when you hear the word devotion, what jumps to the surface. And then just take a moment, if you feel comfortable, and turn to someone and tell them in just a few words what came to your mind. Would you do that? Just take a moment and do that if you feel comfortable. If not, you can just talk to yourself. Okay, now let the other person share. Okay, the definition. Let me share with you what comes to mind to the dictionary with the word devotion. Here's what you would read. Profound dedication. Consecration. Worship. Another meaning. Earnest attachment to a cause or a person. Zeal. Passion. Love. It may cause you to think of things like a painter such as Michelangelo and the story of the Sistine Chapel. It took Michelangelo four years to paint the ceiling and six years to paint the altar wall in the Sistine Chapel. That's a 10 year total committed to what you see. The ceiling alone took four years of backbreaking work on scaffolding he himself made. And the artist worked standing up eight hours a day. Six days a week for all those four years, taking a six month break finally after 28 months of work. And you think your job's tough. That's what I call devotion. Or you may think of an athlete such as Adrian Peterson. Do you know that he has an actual workout if you want to do it, the AP workout? And you look at that picture and, and you go, whoa, to get abs like that is no easy task. It takes years of work, hours in the gym. It takes disciplining yourself to say no to junk food. It means getting up earlier than others, staying after longer than others, 
It's intense dedication. You have to be devoted. I know. I have abs like that. Seriously, I wear special tailored clothing because otherwise these guys would be envious and it would be all over. But, you know. Oh, yeah, you guys laugh like crazy. Or you may think of a religious fanatic. Let me tell you about a little girl named Jilla. She's a young Muslim girl, or it was when she shared this story. And I want you to listen to her account simply called Iran, Desperate for God. One of the places in the world where persecution is rife. She says, in sixth grade, I became a besiege. A girl who was dedicated to Islam, completely involved, almost like a military-style worship. In school, I would take the microphones and sing mournfully like a funeral service, almost as if the prophet Hussein, Muhammad's grandson, had just died, although it was a thousand years before. And then we would hit ourselves, and I would hit myself harder than everybody else and would bleed. In school, they taught me that whoever would fast the longest would have a more secure place in heaven. And I did that for such a long time that I ended up in the hospital once. We wore a special card with our picture on it like a badge. And to wear the card, she writes, we had to have memorized the entire Koran and pass other tests. I would parade in the streets with others walking without any shoes until it was very painful. This was a ritual that was performed for cleansing. As ninth graders, she says, We would pitch a tent on the school grounds and men would come with sticks bearing chains and they would beat themselves on their backs during worship. And they would bring things like tambourines and drums to make them focus while they flogged themselves. We women women wouldn't um, have sticks to hit ourselves with, only our hands, because not having those sticks, we would then just beat ourselves with our hands. And we thought if we hit ourselves hard enough, even hitting our heads, it was a sense of worship. And then she says, perhaps half of my headaches were from those days. I would pray five different times from early morning until late night. I would bow 400 times in four different directions. And when I woke up in the morning, my knees would hurt. I wanted the truth. I searched for goodness. I was devoted. I I look at the world and I read that and I think, wow, that's a pretty powerful thing. This whole thing of devotion that we see in some people's lives that in many ways are so great that we just feel so far from it. And I thought to myself, how do we speak about this topic of devotion? What in the world did Jesus want to say to you and to me? What really does devotion look like in your life before God? And what would Jesus say? Jesus was an itinerant preacher, so he would share messages. And one of the great things about not preaching in the same place every week is that in his case, just like itinerant preachers, they would share a message often a number of different times. And as we see a little bit later in the message, there's one of these messages he'd share. And in one place, he added a little bit contextually because he was maybe stressing a certain truth. But I I asked myself, well, what does it look like? You know, what's so cool about Jesus is he not only spoke about it, he actually modeled it. 
He's the, he's the kind of coach. He's the kind of teacher. He's the kind of leader who doesn't just say what you should do. He actually himself did it. And that, that model which he shows us in the scripture I'm about to read was one that he shared just hours in a sense before he gave the greatest sacrifice where he himself was so devoted to you and to me, he says to all people, that he would put himself on a cross for the purpose that you didn't have to. You would take the punishment. You would allow for your sin to go on his back so that he, in your stead, would die for you. And that model is is what he holds up. In a sense, he says in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, prior to going to that death on a cross, he says these words. And the message, I think, is kind of interesting. Let's read it first there, and then I'll read it from the NIV. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. And this is the best way to love. Put your life on the line for others. You're my friends when you do the things I command you. Now, I read the New International Version on a regular basis, but I also read a lot from the message because it just makes it alive in our kind of language today. But the New International Version says it this way. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Devotion looks like love. It's a love that costs everything, even your life at times. We're really impressed. Some of you might be aware of like the Hunger Games and, and read it or heard stories about it. But you're, we're impressed when a Katniss Evergreen sees her sister Primrose being called to the front to assure death. And she, in a sense, takes her place and says, I'll go to these games where I'll be surely killed in her stead, in her place. What Jesus is saying, which is impressive whenever we see it, it's that kind of, I will go, I will give up my life so that you might have life. So what does that mean? How does that work? He basically says, this is what real friends do. If you're my friend, if you're the friend of Jesus, and not just a person who likes to go to church and put in time, and, and, and this is all about some kind of religious stuff so you feel better about yourself, but you're really saying to yourself, I want to walk in the way of Jesus. I want to follow in his footsteps. If that's the kind of life you really want to live, this message is for you. And I challenge you to think about it this way. I challenge you to think about this in the context of what is true for you as a follower of Jesus, I challenge you to think about when you think about that verse of Scripture, not to listen to what your words are saying or even your religious acts of attending church or giving money or, or reading God's Word or things which are good, devoted acts. But I, I, I ask you to think about what Jesus says here. You know what he's asking you to think about? Am I a loving person? Am I a loving person? And since he says, take your eyes off yourself and ask, am I giving up my life in some way for someone else? And if I did, what would it look like in the world that I live, in the daily course of my life? What does it mean? King Hezekiah one time in tears cried out to God. And he was asking God to recall how, how dedicated he was to God. And he says, remember, Lord, how I walk before you faithfully with a wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. 
In just those little lines, there's a sense where he talks about devotion being a heart-first kind of thing. It's not about acts that you do. It's much about your heart and relationship to God and with other people. And he makes this statement that I did good things in your eyes, not in the eyes of others. It's about my heart with your heart doing loving things to other people. And then he also adds in here, not, not just faithful, but he says wholehearted. It's not a half-hearted thing. It's my whole life. I'm investing. It's all in. And then when you look at this, too, whenever you look at devotion, it's not just a fact about a heart. It's not about the whole heart. It's also about sacrifice to what Jesus said. There's an element of, of kind of dying to oneself. So I want to get real practical. That's what I want to do with the rest of the time we have. I want to get real practical, break this down in a way that I hope will be meaningful for you to live this week. What does it mean for you to live like Jesus said devotion is? The first is this, devotion is always small and unnoticeable. You know, the tendency, I think, for all of us is to think it's big and heroic. We think of a larger-than-life kind of love, kind of the things that I was talking about in the first part of that message. But really, we discount this aspect of devotion, which is about the smaller steps of love that eventually lead to the big and heroic. Have you ever wondered how someone is willing to die for another person? How is it that Peter, the Apostle Peter, was at a certain point going to be crucified and he would say to those, according to tradition, who were going to crucify him, I don't want to even be crucified upright like my Savior Jesus. I'm not even worthy of dying like that. Crucify me upside down. We listen to the story of Stephen Curry, who every day is in a position where his life could be threatened. Let me ask you this. How do you do the big one? How would it be if, if you had before you this moment, this choice that you were to die for Jesus? How do you do it? Well, it doesn't just happen. The small, unnoticeable choices to love, the little acts of service that no one sees, the choice to love, even when you don't feel like it, that ability to love even someone who doesn't deserve it. It's those little choices that you do again and again. The way that Adrian Peterson got the abs that he has is not because he started with 400 some pounds or 300 pounds. He started with 150 and he did that. It's the small little steps that you will choose this week where you will die to yourself and you will, in a sense, say, I don't feel like it. I don't even want to do this for this person. They don't deserve it. But I will choose to step out of myself and I will die to it and I will love them. I will do good to them. And they may never see it. They may never notice it. They may never even, there may be no fanfare. There may be no clapping and applause. But it will be those little things that you do that allows for you to get to anything that could be big. Not that it has to be that. Because some people go throughout their life doing little things. And I want to share with you that when they get to heaven someday, we'll probably be serving them. We won't even know who they are. Jesus said it this way. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wondered a long time when I was younger what that actually meant. 
I think Jesus is pretty clear as I begin to understand what it means for me to walk this Christian life. And it's taken a long time for me to move out of, to try and do the heroic things, to begin to just do the daily kind of mundane things that no one sees out of choices of loving and dying to myself. Because to lay down your life out of love means learning to lay down your self-will. It means taking your stubbornness and saying, I won't be stubborn here. It means simple things like, I will not manipulate this situation and try and control so that I get what I want. You don't mean putting aside your need for attention. Just quietly doing it. You don't mean at times saying, I'm really angry here. I really want to act out. But I'm going to step aside and die to myself. It may mean you really want to hurt someone who's hurt you. It may be that you want to hurt your spouse because of the comment they made or the way they said something or whatever. But to love big doesn't just happen when you're faced with a big challenge to love. It happens because you've been loving a little bit through taking your, up your cross and dying to your selfishness for the sake of someone else and doing that in little ways. Anybody, are you relating to that at all? Where are the little wholehearted sacrifices that the Spirit of God brings before you daily? Those little choices to do good, to be patient, to respond with kindness, to be reliable, to be on time, to finish the project well, to do what you said you said we were going to do. How do you respond to the gentle nudgings of the Holy Spirit when he comes and he prompts you? And he's not doing it out of shame and really kind of getting a hold of your chest and grabbing it. He's just prompting you like we saw with Laura Hunter, how she was prompted and, and, and God, in a very gentle way, pointed her in a different direction and opened her eyes to things she didn't see before. So that now generosity is becoming much more than just a financial thing. It's a whole life. It's a whole lifestyle. How is it that the Holy Spirit can come to someone like Ruth Connor, who is in a, a Panera and is doing it on a regular basis where she will go and she'll have her quiet time and talk to the Lord. And she sits down to talk to the Lord and the quiet voice of God says, I want you to go over to those women who have those burkas on. And I want you to start a conversation. I'm not even going to tell you what to say, but I just want you to do it. And then she does it and a whole new world opens up to her. How is it that a Sandy Gilbert, who is so used to being raised in a situation where hospitality was all about your family and about collecting all kinds of nice china and all kinds of other things. How is it that the gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit says, I want you to invite some of these Chinese students over into your home. And now has opened up a whole new world for her whole family to experience hospitality in a way she never could before. How is it that God does it? in your life? Is he prompting you in a little way right now? Has he been saying, I want you to step out in obedience? I'm not going to tell you exactly all what to say, but I want you to move into this place. It's the little things. What do you do with those moments? So sometimes Jesus will come to you through the Holy Spirit and you know he's got his finger on your chest and he's meaning it. And you've been doing it again and again. And he's saying, now it's stop lying. He's pointing his finger on your chest. And he's saying, quit holding that grudge. He's pointing and, and pushing a sense of his finger on your chest. And he's saying, don't say that disrespectful comment. Quit complaining. Man, folks, I tell you, that's one huge thing. If we can do that in our life, if we can begin to move into a place, we're going to talk about joy in the coming month. But if we can move into a place where we don't live in complaining, you know, the world would be changed. How many people would look for people like you in your workplace where you were not a complainer, but you were a person filled with joy? You really lived. 
this life. That's, that's part of devotion. It's dying to yourself and saying, oh, man, I, if it's just this way, the circumstances are this way. And God saying, hey, you don't need circumstances. I'm in you. You can actually march through those circumstances with joy. How do you respond to God's prompting to die to yourself? Those little attitudes that no one sees. You don't do the big one unless you've been faithful in the smaller ones. No one literally lays down their whole life unless they've been liberally laying down their life a bit at a time. I want you to think for a second. One of the problems sometimes in the church, I see in the evangelical church, is the Trinity is made up of the Holy Spirit. It is made up of Jesus. Of the, I'll get it right yet. The Father, Son, and the Bible. That's not, the whole, that's not the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He gives us the Bible to lead us into His truth. One of the things I want you to do is think for a second. If you've opened your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, He has said if you have admitted your need of Him and you have recognized that you are a sinner and that you need His new life, that He also gives you His Holy Spirit. So I just want you to think for a second. The Holy Spirit is in you. He speaks to you. I want you to for a second say, God, in this message of devotion as we go on, I don't want to just sit and listen. I'm going to ask you to bring to my consciousness a person where I need to practice this. Someone or something where I need to learn how to love like you love. Where I need to say, I got to quit dealing with my feelings or what person deserves it. Or, or I need to quit, you know, being busy. It's about me and, and begin to start saying, what is it that you want me to do? And let him bring that to your mind. You may not get something right away. Some of you will. But as we go through this message, continually say, God, I want to be devoted. I want to love like you. I want to lay down my life for someone. I want to do it in the small and noticeable ways. And what's so cool about this whole thing is that God is so good that he will give you all kinds of opportunities to do that. You know that? He'll give you all kinds of opportunities to die to yourself. I kind of mean that as a little bit as a joke, right? Are you with me? Yeah. Devotion always is daily and consistent, not just small and unnoticeable. Luke 9.23, here's where Jesus is his itinerant. He adds these words that Mark leaves out. He says, then he calls them all together. He says to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Daily is the word he adds. And follow me. This isn't a one-time act. This is a daily, repeated thing. Devotion is not just small and little. It's also repetitious. It is done again and again. I love how Mother Teresa, one of the most devoted uh, people to Jesus, says Christianity is not a religion you convert to once. Conversion happens every time I swing my legs out of bed in the morning. Every day I need to remind myself that Jesus has no hands on earth but mine. That's what I love about our life with Jesus. We die and make a decision to say, here's my life. And in his stead, he dies on the cross. You die to yourself. You do it once and you do it in these small and noticeable ways. But you also do it daily. Every time you have an opportunity every morning to swing your legs out of bed. And when you swing your legs out of bed, you got an opportunity to say, here's my mind, Jesus. Here's my heart, Jesus. Here's my eyes, Jesus. Here's my mouth, Jesus. Here's my hands and here are my feet. And today I want you to walk through them and I want you to see through them and I want you to speak through them. And I want to do this again and again and again. It's not about a heroic one time act. How devoted are you? How consistent is this love in your life? I, I, I can tell you, for one, that I'm constantly learning this. 
in the laboratory of which we learn this most often is in our closest relationships. Right? Someone came up to me after the service and said, let me tell you one little secret. And I feel like every Sunday I tell you my little secrets. So last Saturday, about a week ago, I was just downright rude and mean to my wife when we were driving somewhere. And, um, yeah, can you believe it? Me? Anyway. <clears throat> and it so happens that we were, my daughter, my youngest daughter was in the car and we were taking her to the airport, in fact, and she called me out on it. And I think to myself, what happened to the good old German rule, being a German that I am, of kids are to be silent and not heard kind of thing. But anyway. And that next Sunday morning, as I continued just to process through this, and it just took time for God to really bring conviction, as I was reading in God's Word and journaling like I do on a daily basis, that's part of my devotion. If I don't spend time and listen to His voice, I won't hear Him. You're not going to hear God's voice and recognize it in the rush of the day if you don't hear it in the silence of a quiet place with Him. And so... The Spirit of God very gently says, you know, in a Sunday morning, praise God, my voice wasn't good and Peter was speaking for me, so I didn't have to preach. Because he says, you need to, you need to confess. And I'm writing down two-do lists and I'm writing them down and all of a sudden he kind of, this is the third one here, apologize for my mean tone. And, uh, now guys, I don't think I'm the only one like this, I hope. Anyone else relate to this? Here, here this is what happens. I, that happens and, and I do something and in this case I could just tell, you know, there's certain times maybe her defenses are down or I'm just insensitive or whatever's happening. It could be that you're in a situation where you're just ugly and, and you hit into the heart a little bit and you notice when you do it that it's a pretty deep one and you're going, oh man. And you're just going, oh wow, I got, got to repair this. And, and, and if you're like me, you kind of go, Okay, because repentance is always first about your own selfishness. I got to get this better so we're okay and I'm okay, really. And so, you know, if you're in that situation and you're, you're, you're in that place, you kind of go, okay, you find yourself hypersensitive to be the best servant. You put on the, the nicest, most genuine, loving kind of husband outfit you can. And if anyone's ever done this, and I've done, and I, I remember when I was first convicted on this about a number of years back, and when God really through even my wife and through relationship realized that, you know what? She doesn't care for the outfit. That's not what she's looking for. She's looking for that self to die. She's looking for a whole new character to emerge. One of the things about the cross is we put ourselves on the cross. We say, I want to die to you. And what's really interesting is what happens in the process of dying is this. You get the opportunity to move to a place of true repentance where that can actually die. And it's not just a one time I'm going to get really nice and be really good about this. And some of you are in that place, even with God right now. You kind of blew it big and you know it and you feel like, oh man, the consequences are going to be great. If I'm to, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm doing devotions and I'm coming to church now and I'm looking really like, God, look at the outfit I'm wearing. He's going, I don't care for the outfit. I want your heart. 
And I want your heart consistently. And I don't want you to have to live in this place where you're living out of fear. I want you to know that I am so committed to you that I have come to you again and again. All I'm asking is that you begin to kind of work through this process. And through the process, you'll move through the selfishness of just trying to get things repaired till you begin to realize what you're doing has great cost to someone else. It has great cost to yourself. And through it, you begin to realize it's not this big heroic sense where you kind of come back and be really devoted. But you realize it's through the small and notable things where you begin to choose the love and you do it over and over again so it becomes a repetitious thing in your life and now devotion becomes consistent and you begin to show up with a new you. That's what the people of this world are looking for. They're not looking for a great service where there's good music and a guy can talk real well. They're looking for you and me to have changed lives that is so devoted to this Lord and Savior Jesus that you're so devoted to the kind of person when the Holy Spirit nudges you, you do it not just to try to get things repaired for your sake, but what's going on is that God is moving in your heart because you're saying, I am going to set my mind on being loving and good by the power of Jesus. And devotion is always above and beyond. It is more than the usual ordinary quality to it. It is extraordinary. It is unusual. It's not normal. It causes people to question and wonder and even at times ridicule because as you walk with the Lord, He speaks to your heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. And He speaks like He did to a man who began to speak to Him. And when He spoke to Him, He said, I want you to build an ark. And He's going to build an ark. He goes, yeah, I want you to build an ark. And He says, okay, I'll be devoted to you. Even though everyone knows it's never rained. And there's people who begin to wonder and they question. They'll even ridicule a guy like Daniel who says, you know what? I'm going to eat just vegetables and fruit. While all the rest of you guys are chowing down on prime rib and pork chops. I'm going to go ahead and pray three times in front of this window, even though the king had said anyone who does that, because these guys were trying to trap him, will be thrown into a pit of of lions as, as appetizer. It's the kind of thing that some guys, I met with some guys, about six young guys in our church here, young married guys, and was just doing some leadership stuff with them. We were just reading through principles of the leadership. And one guy challenged me and said, you know, it's one good thing to, to go ahead and do principles of leadership. Not one of the guys in the class, but some leader outside of it. He said, but they should be challenged to do a leadership thing as a group. And I said, fine, have at it. And he did. And they came back to me and said, you know what we really feel God willing us to do with the church is to have 76 hours or 80 hours where we read straight through the Bible out loud. And I'm kind of at first going, you yeah, know, well, that's kind of a strange. I was questioning and wondering. But for some reason, God's calling our church to this act of devotion that looks kind of strange. But I think it's at the guts of who we are. He said, I want people committed to me. It's little things that go above and beyond that no one sees. That no one sees. It's like my brother-in-law's brother, Peter who after being married less than 10 months on Father's Day, 1985, gets into a horrible car accident. As he's in the accident, he tries to hang on to his wife as she's being thrown through the window of their car. And who faithfully for the past 27 years has attended to his paraplegic wife with a deep and abiding love. That's over and above. Do you do anything over and above for God? Anything. What would it look like 
I'm kind of guessing it's probably the small steps to choose to love, to do it repeatedly so it becomes a part of your character. So as your character becomes like Jesus, you will be in that position when need to be to do maybe something that's above and beyond. Let me finish the story. Is the worship team, I'm asking them to come forward. I'm just going to finish the story of Jilla. Jill was about 18 years old. She says, my two sisters and I went to see a play in a large city. Curious. We visited a church where tours frequent, but they wouldn't let us in. So we went to a small side room because we felt drawn to the place. It was very tiny. An old man sitting there at the table was selling candles to people. We walked over and brought some candles and, and lit them. When I placed my candle at the front, I said, Lord God, I want to find you. My sisters walked off somewhere else, but I was drawn to another room. It was very bright. I went in there and saw how the room had a nice feeling, almost a spiritual thing. I sat on a little tiny bench one side and then looked up, and there was a huge picture of Jesus in front of me. Something just made me fall to my knees. I began to cry heavily. A year or so later, one of her sisters returned from college and gave Jill a movie. It was called The Life of Christ, according to Luke. Some of you are aware of that Jesus film. She said, I went into the room of our house and sat down on the carpet where we all watched TV, and I just happened to be alone and put the movie in. And while watching the movie and how Jesus loved people, I just began to cry. And at the end of the film, there were this prayer of repentance, and I prayed it six times. I rewound the tape to the prayer backwards and forwards and backwards and forward. And she says, I don't think I realized what repentance meant, but I knew this and was certain of this. I just wanted to be near to God. So I prayed in Farsi that I wanted to be delivered from sin. And it was like God was talking to me through me. He was saying, this is the truth. I am the true God. I am the one God. And from that moment, I began to have much peace and my headaches were cured. And now because of this peace and love and acceptance, the physical healing she has had, she is devoted to Jesus and risks her life daily to tell others about his transforming love. She writes, although I went to a church and never said anything about sharing your faith, but at one point I realized I had been freed from so many things and that these people in Iran are in the same sort of prison that I was in. I must share with them what released me. And I just asked myself, God, how do I love people? How do I use my spiritual gifts? How do you use your spiritual gifts to give to someone because he's given to you? How do you live in such a way where you begin to say, God, I want to spend time with you? So like the disciples, when they were walking, they noticed the fact they had courage because they just had spent time with Jesus. How do you live in such a way where you become bold? And I love what Joel said in her prayer, bold with a filter of love. Not bold because you're angry and bold you're going to stand up because the world's going to wherever. Yeah, I caught myself. Anyway, but because you know that you know that God has loved you. And you want to love others. And so she ends this way. She says, I always wanted to get to God with my own efforts. But when I finally got to the point where I was so broken, that's when Jesus came to me. I just want you to kind of bow your heads for a moment. We're going to move into worship. And I just want you to move into this place. 
Jesus is so devoted and committed to you. He loves you. This is not about shame. If there's guilt, all he says is confess it and walk in his grace again. Don't beat yourself up. Just walk in his grace. And begin to say, God, come into me, change me, abide in me, move in me, that I might begin to choose to love in unnoticeable, small little ways, repeatedly, consistently, that my character would become like you, that I would be that supernatural, life-giving, above-and-beyond person you've always created me to be.